Good morning, church. It's always so good to be together in these summer months. Um, it's appropriate a little cooler today. Only five months till Christmas. I don't know if you've been thinking about that. But during these uh, summer months, um, you know, we have an opportunity to have various speakers, uh, various themes. People are coming and going, so it's hard to kind of tie a, a series together throughout the summer. Um, but Pastor Adam and I got together and we said, well, let's do a little two-part series about walking with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you can actually call two messages a series or not, but uh, maybe it's more like one message broken into, into two parts. And so last week, uh, Pastor Adam talked about my walk with Jesus, and today I want to talk about our walk with Jesus. And what we will soon discover is that these are like two sides of the same coin. They are separate, but yet they're connected probably more than we even realize. So just by way of review, very quickly, Pastor Adam had three main points. He said, I walk with Jesus as, first of all, I choose to acknowledge his way. Secondly, I choose to respond to the invitation of Jesus. And lastly, I choose to remain walking with Jesus. And so how do we do this as individuals? Well, he highlighted some activities or some disciplines that we can practice on our own. Things like worship or responding to God, prayer, scripture, uh, scripture reading, and how through scripture reading we observe Jesus and we learn to follow his example. You see, it is when we walk with Jesus, both alone as individuals and then together as a church, that is when we grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And growing as a follower of Jesus does not just happen automatically. It requires an intentional commitment on our part. You see, to be a disciple begins with the decision to be with Jesus. Because it's Jesus who invites us to come and follow me, he says. And so we lay down our nets and we respond to that invitation. The church then is a gathering together of those who have been called out, who have been called into relationship with Jesus, and called together to one an- with one another. And so each of us will come to faith in Christ individually, but then we live that out corporately. That is the church. And throughout the Bible, we find that the emphasis is on the relationship that God has with his people. So church is not like when it happens, like a specific time at 10 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock or in the evening or whatever. And it's not where the church meets. It's not about a location that's specific. But it's rather about who the church is and what the church does and why the church exists. And so this morning, I want us just to look very quickly at five purposes of the church. Why do we do what we do? What are some of the basic and yet absolutely essential purposes of the church? And so to answer that question, we're going to look at the passage that Trisha read for us from Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 through 47. And I sort of feel like every couple of years I return uh, to this passage because it just lays it out so perfectly. But I think it's important to return to the fundamentals. Vince Lombardi, he was a, a legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, and he knew how important it was to return to the fundamentals. In fact, it was July of 1961, and the 38 players were gathered together for that first day of training camp. Their previous season had ended with heartbreaking defeat 
when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. Those of you who are NFL fans will think, well, that sounds a lot like last year as well. But the Green Bay players, they had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now finally they come together at training camp, and uh, they think it's time to get to work. They're eager to advance their game to the next level and just start working on the details that was going to help them ultimately win this championship. But Coach Lombardi, he took absolutely nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch each and every year, assuming that the players were complete blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the previous year. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding up a pigskin, this is a football. Lombardi was coaching a, a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize that their sport could offer. And yet he would start from the very beginning. Lombardi's methodical coverage of the fundamentals had continued throughout training camp. Each player learned how to block and tackle. They opened up the playbook from page one. In fact, at one point, Max McGee, one of the Pro Bowl wide receivers, joked, uh, Coach, could you slow down a little for us? You're going a little too fast. Lombardi reportedly cracked a smile, but continued his obsession with the basics all the same. And his team would become the best in the league at a task, or all of the tasks, that everyone else would take for granted. And six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37 to nothing to win the NFL championship. A little bit of sports trivia there if you want, but the point is that it's important to return to some of the basic and fundamental practices of the church on a regular basis. And so before we look at these five practices, note that the church was devoted to these things. In other words, this was what they gave their hearts and their lives to. They were steadfast and dedicated to this way of life. And they had what the word literally means is a single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. They stuck to these very practices. They never wavered or ever got sidetracked. This is what they did. And what they did is, first of all, they taught. It's about teaching. And so the first practice of the church was that they spent time learning the scriptures. And in the opening verse, verse 42, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so this teaching, no doubt, included what Jesus had taught his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, the very end, there's a passage there that is referred to as the Great Commission. And Jesus, he gathers his 11 disciples together and he says to them and to us, he says, Therefore, go and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey. And so now, the apostles or the disciples who had been with Jesus those who were witnesses of his resurrection, they were simply passing along what they had learned from Jesus. And I'm sure as they gathered together, they shared story after story about Jesus because they had been with him and they were eyewitnesses to everything that he did, including the miracles that they had seen and witnessed with their own eyes. The apostles were basically the guardians, if you will, of 
Jesus' teachings and the stories about Jesus. And they passed it on to others, and then eventually it was written down, and this material became the four Gospels. Now, there is something about listening to the teaching of the Bible, to immersing ourselves in the Gospels, to, to entering into the life of Jesus, yes, on our own, but, but also together, together with others who want to learn and to grow. And there's this amazing dynamic that takes place in a small group when you engage with others and you interact with the Bible. And for the early church and for us, this teaching component, it isn't optional, it is absolutely essential. The second practice of the church in Acts was that they worshipped. Still in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, the breaking of bread was probably a communal meal, a meal that they shared together. And then they would follow that with the Lord's Supper, where they would take the bread and the cup, and they would remember what uh, what Jesus himself had instructed them to do. And so they would gather around the Lord's table, and they remember what Jesus had done. It was a key element of, of worship and of their gatherings, and as is prayer. And this group... Is, is in the, later on in verse 4, 7, says that this group just praised God. Everybody was praising God because they were in awe of these incredible things that were taking place. See, even then, prayer was established as the very lifeblood of the church. When they needed to find a replacement for Judas, the church joined together constantly in prayer. That's verse 14 of chapter 1. And then when they ultimately narrowed down the choice to two men, they prayed again that God would show them which of the two he had chosen. The church was a praying church. And if I can just say as an aside, church, can I ask you to pray very specifically, even in these coming weeks, maybe more so than you haven't, maybe it's just been something that we've said over and over again, or you've read it in the, in the Sunday news over and over again, and maybe we've, we've sort of dulled ourselves a little bit to praying for this, but I want to encourage you to pray for our youth pastor, for our pastor of student ministries, okay? Um, you know, hiring a staff member is not just saying, well, this is what we're looking for, and this person meets those credentials, and so and then just hire them. No, it's a process of discerning together. Is God calling this specific individual? Because if it was a matter of just hiring somebody, we would have already hired somebody. But we're waiting on the person that God has chosen for us, and we need to discover that. And so you know what? Let's pray together for that right now, okay? Let's pray. Father, we as a church come before you this morning and just ask that you would reveal to us and to this individual that you have called who this individual is that might serve here at TCC as the pastor of student ministries. Father, we believe that you have a calling on an individual's life. We believe that there's reason for this journey to kind of continue on. That there's things for us to learn and for other candidates to learn perhaps as well. And so it's at times a difficult process, but Lord, we pray that you would just in these coming days, in these coming weeks, reveal to us specifically the person that you have called to serve in this way and to make an impact on the youth of our church and the youth of this community. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You see, recently we've heard Pastor Ken share about his heart for TCC, that that we would be a church of prayer and not just a church with prayer. 
I think just like the early church in Acts, because they certainly were a church of prayer. But I think there's also an important connection here to make between the first practice of teaching and the second of worshiping. Because it's important to know, or it's important to worship a God that we know. You see, what we know about God and what we learn about Jesus from Jesus, from spending time with him, it fuels our worship. Because worship is ultimately a response to God where we direct our praise and our adoration to him because of what we know about him. When we're just filled with awe, an awe that can't be contained, we have to declare his praises. We have no other choice. And so when we gather like this on a Sunday morning in corporate worship, there's an audience of only one, and that's God. God is the only audience. And all of us seated here this morning are participants. Worship is not a spectator sport. That's why we encourage singing. We almost take it for granted because that's what we do when we come. We want to declare his praises. But worship is much more than just singing and praying and the Lord's Supper. It really is truly a lifestyle that is marked by walking with Jesus and responding in obedience to his teaching. Well, this early community was also committed to serving one another. They really, truly cared for one another. Look at how they walked out their faith in very practical ways, verses 44 and 45, if you're following along in your Bibles. It says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Okay? This wasn't you know, some form of communism. It wasn't forced upon them. It wasn't required of them, but it was chosen of them. It wasn't out of obligation, but it was a voluntary act of serving others. You see, I think sometimes we think that we just need more volunteers, you know, to fill all the spaces, more workers. But you know what I think we really need? We need more worshipers. People who are joyfully responding to the call of God on their lives to serve others, not simply fulfilling an obligation. Those who just take their gifts, their abilities, and just say, how can I put this to use to making a kingdom impact? How can I serve others? Every act of service is, in fact, an act of worship, since worship is a response to God. He wants us to love others and to serve them. And so from that perspective, I think we have this great group of worshipers at TCC. People are constantly saying, well, I can do that. Count me in. I'll be there. What can I do to help? And you know what? Serving doesn't have to take place just here at the church. Because throughout the week, the church, all of us, are scattered across the city. And if you followed some people around, you'd find them in schools and in businesses and in hospitals and and in offices and in communities maybe even down the street from you. And so we, like the church in Acts, we lovingly and willingly look for ways to meet the needs of others, both at church and in the community. Because the church is a family, and a healthy and caring family, they look out and care for one another. Another practice of the early church was community or fellowship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. And the Greek word that is used here is koinonia, and it carried the idea of participating together toward a common goal. 
And so in verse 46, we also read that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so every day they ate together, they shared meals together. And even in the context of their homes and smaller gatherings, they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Have you ever had the opportunity to do that with with just a group of friends where you, you break bread together and you remember using the elements of bread and wine or juice and, and remi- remembering that those are symbols of what Christ has done for us. It can be a powerful time. And this community, this fellowship that they were experiencing, it wasn't just kind of a safe place to, to hide from the world, but it was a place, a safe place to find belonging and to find healing And to be refreshed and to be encouraged to what? To go out and to serve others. But when they came together and they ate together and they spent time sharing with each other about what God was doing in their lives, how God was at work at their lives and in the life of their community, what he was saying to them through his word, those became powerful times of interacting. You see, there are lots of reasons to come together with other followers of Jesus, to walk with Jesus together. It's not just about hanging out. I mean, that has a place too, and it can be lots of fun. But really at its core, fellowship, this community that that this church was experiencing, I think something that we all long for in essence, is that we, we, we find this place where we can be honest with one another, and there's an authenticity and a realness, and you do life together. And you share, share struggles with one another. And it becomes this place for genuine relationships and a, and a place to practice all of the one another commands of Scripture. You see, it's in this context of community when each of us as individual followers of Jesus who are walking with Jesus then come together in the context of community where we truly love one another, honor one another, or encourage one another. We confess sins even to one another. Imagine that. And accept one another. We have concern for one another. We submit to one another. We forbear with one another. Right? That's a, that's a good one for people who spend time with me. Because they have to put up with me. But we speak truthfully to one another. We pray for one another. We forgive one another. We teach one another. Do you see how each of these are impossible to do just on your own? If you think, well, I I can be a follower of Jesus, but I don't really have to be involved in church. I don't have to hang out with other believers. We have to. Because how else will we teach one another? Or greet one another? Or admonish one another? Where we offer hospitality to one another, serve one another, carry burdens for one another, stir up one another. How else do we do those on our own? So it's no wonder that they spent so much time together. Because it was as they were doing life together that they would develop this authentic, real community. Well, the last of the five practices is that this was a church on mission. It was a church on mission. See, when Peter preached this message of repentance and faith, about 3,000 were added to their number. And that's in verse 41. And when these followers of Jesus were then walking out their faith together, 
through meeting together and being devoted to teaching and to worship and to serving and to community. It was a way of life that was very attractive to others. And at the end of this passage that was read earlier, verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you just sort of imagine that? I mean, just every day, believers being together, telling other people about Jesus and about this way of life, following the way of Jesus, and people giving their hearts and their lives in surrender to Jesus. Jesus' invitation, come, follow me, didn't just end with those three words. He also made a promise. He says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that is a calling that is for every one of his followers. And we walk that out wherever God has placed us. And so where has God placed you? I mean, where is your home? Look around and think about the neighbors and say, can I have a relationship with these people? Where do you spend the majority of your time during the week? Friends, that is where we are to be on mission. When we walk out our faith alone and together, we serve one another and we love and we serve others. That becomes a powerful message because it's so countercultural, right? Our culture is me first. You only need to try to merge onto the hende to figure that one out. See, I don't think that we talk about evangelism as much as we should. I know that there's, there's lots of these different things that we can place as a priority and it's sort of one edge is higher than the other at times, and that's true. But evangelism is all about sharing the good news. And fundamentally, that is a crucial element of any church, that we share the good news that we have come to know about Jesus. The church is called to do that. At TCC, we take the approach that we want to continually build bridges with our neighbors, to build trust, in essence, to let our light shine. And when we do that, the church can be incredibly attractive. So if that's why we do what we do, what do we actually do? What are some of the activities of the church? Um, What are some of these specific things? And I want us to be really practical this morning. I feel like it's just sort of a reminder that you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Maybe connect some dots for you. But how do we walk this out? What are some of the activities that we do together? And more importantly, how can you then get involved? And obviously, a big piece of what we do takes place on Sunday morning. There's a lot of energy and effort that is given towards Sunday morning, and for good reason. Because for centuries, the church has met on the Lord's Day. Why? To celebrate the resurrection. And so we gather together and we sing. And we express our praises. We take time to to look into the Bible, to, to learn from the scriptures, this teaching component. We spend some time praying. We're always amazed as a staff every week when we have the invitation, if you have a need in your life, please come. We'd love to pray with you. And people come with all sorts of needs. It's a wonderful thing. So Sunday morning is important. Now I feel like the, the, the proverbial, I'm preaching to the choir, you're here today, it's great, you know. But don't ever think that you um, being here doesn't matter. Okay? 
it's important that we show up. And we have to almost come to church with this bit of an attitude that says, you know, I have to believe that there's a reason that God has me here this morning. I believe maybe he wants me to be an encouragement to someone. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's important to me to be here, to make Sunday morning a priority. Because it is this wonderful place where we gather with one another, where we sing, where we teach, where we can pray together. But you already know that, and that's why you're here. Children's ministry, right? It's really more of the same, just at an age-appropriate level. They gather together upstairs. They're, they're taught about the Bible. They do some singing together. It's a little bit different during, during the summer. But it's an important piece for us as a church to know that what we are doing in our children's ministry really is making disciples. We're, we're teaching them about the Word and about Jesus, introducing him to Jesus. As you probably know, we also have this thing called brunch, which is really a, a wonderful opportunity to, to just to connect with one another, to welcome one another, to pray with one another. I have to tell you that one of the things that encourages me the most is when I walk around and I realize that I cannot possibly by myself sit at brunch with every single one of you. I just can't. But you know what's really great is when I see other people that are intentionally maybe even going out of their comfort zones, they're meeting with people, and sometimes I walk by a table and there's this incredible interaction going on, and I just go to them and I just say, well, do you guys know each other? It's like, uh, no, we just met in the brunch line. And they met in, while they're standing in line, got their food together, sat together, right? Friends, don't underestimate the importance of reaching out to someone else. And every one of us can do that. It's not, it's not something that we structure or organize or have a group of like stealth brunch sitters who look for new people. No, you are those stealthy people, okay? You just show up at somebody's table and you just say, hi, I don't think we've met before. Can we sit down? It's really easy. I get it. You know, you're an introvert. You just want to run. You don't want to talk to anybody. Just eat your brunch and go or whatever. But it's so important for us so important to connect with one another. And again, when I just see these interactions taking place, um, and I've seen times too where I, I have no idea what the conversation is, but suddenly you see a group of people, and they're just around the table, they're huddled together, and they're praying. Why? Because somebody shared a need in that conversation, and somebody had the courage to say, you know what, why don't we pray for that? That could all take place at brunch. It's an incredible time. So just welcome one another and be the one who takes the initiative and don't wait for others to do that. Well, we have this large group gathering on Sundays, but we also have small groups. And um, <clears throat> this whole piece of discipleship, all of what I'm sharing here this morning, is really a kind of a, a collect, collaborative effort between um, some of my leadership, but Pastor Adam and Ann Kewen and Marnie Mrazek, um, we're all looking at this together, and, and how can we help people really connect in an authentic way in small groups? <clears throat> and you'll hear a lot more about this in the coming weeks as we head towards the fall. But we want to talk about life groups. We want to talk about refresh groups for women that happen during the week. Some men's groups, the idea of hearing God groups and the seminar that takes place. There's even a walking group that just, just based on relationships, just come together. Let's get some exercise. Let's talk. And Dana Cruz is giving leadership to that. But all of these little connecting points, they just provide a place 
where you can make some deeper connections that isn't just sort of in the rush of a Sunday morning where you've had brunch but somebody needs to rush off and, and you maybe even forget their name before by the time that the, the, they leave the, the building or you leave the building. And so I just want to encourage you that, that when you get involved in a small group, realize that that's a place where there's a teaching component. And it's in the context of these relationships where we have a place then to actually live out and to practice the one another's that I shared earlier. It's all in the context of those relationships. And we do that through, the, through the, the, the vehicle of small groups. Something that um, <clears throat> we, we talk about from time to time at TCC, and maybe we've, we've sort of dropped the, the emphasis on a little bit, and we shouldn't have, but it's, it's triads. And this is simply where, where three men or three women are encouraged to get together, and, and it's for a very specific purpose. Pray together. At the beginning, ask God to just show up in, in the midst of the three of you. Share your hearts about what's happening. Um, <clears throat> uh, check in a little bit with each other. What's happening in your life? Oh, I'm really struggling about this. I've been frustrated about this. I've been angry with my spouse. I, like whatever, you just have this place to, to just share honestly about what's happening. To ask the bigger questions about why. And what's happening. But you know, so much of maybe what we're experiencing in life really has to do with how we're walking with Jesus. And so just that little check-in time, that little bit of accountability that says, but how are you doing in your walk? What have you been doing? Have you been spending time with Jesus? Have you been spending time in the Word? Those are important, important pieces. And it's not anything that we structure or organize. We just put it out there. I believe there's a little information sheet on the, <clears throat> on the literature rack back there. And we just encourage you to say, go find one or two other people. Well, two other people if you're by yourself, because that makes a triad, three people. I know math. Um, but, but understand the significance of that and how vital that can be in your walk with Jesus. Prayer summits. We've been doing these for the last year or so, maybe about every quarter. Um, I think we're going to keep seeing that increase to maybe one every two months, maybe eventually every month. But it's a part, an opportunity for us to corporately gather together. Typically, we've done them on a Sunday evening. And we pray very specifically for needs in the church and the community. And so I want you to think about that, saying, you know, is that really optional for me? Or should I make that a higher priority? If I'm going to walk with Jesus with others, then maybe I should gather with others to pray together as well. There's a Wednesday night prayer meeting that takes place not during the summer but throughout the school year here at the church. Um, you can spend some time with Anne and just learning and, and being mentored in, in, in prayer. Because um, it's one of those things, and I think Adam said it so well last, last week, is, is you know, we, we think that we have to be good enough at it. When the reality is, is we just have to do it. We just have to start somewhere. And sometimes we just need a little bit of guidance, and so I'd encourage you to consider that. These are all activities, in, in essence, to, to help us um, to, to take that teaching element that I talked about earlier, maybe a worship element, even that, that, that community and fellowship element. Um, but what about the mission piece? Right? One of the things that we, that we offer at TCC is Alpha. And we've only done it in my time here twice. I think it was like last spring and then um, a fall about a year prior to that. And I have to just say that this, this last time was just this incredible experience of meeting with people on a regular basis, week after week after week. And it was so like, um, 
with all due respect to the people that were in the group that I was leading, I mean, we were a bit of a hodgepodge. Nobody really knew each other. We were all from different backgrounds. We were different ages. But it was incredible to watch how over the course of week after week of being together and learning together and sharing together, how God just kind of created this unique community. And it was incredible after like week eight and, and some of the things that were being shared and being asked for prayer requests, very deep personal things. It was absolutely amazing to see that. And so Pastor Adam is already planning for the fall. And there's a note in the Sunday news that you can contact him and say, you know what, I'd like to be involved in that. And maybe you think it's not even for you, but I want to say it is. It's a good place to start your journey with others as well because of the, just, it works and the, the meal together. I mean, just come for the meal, okay? For no other reason, come for the meal. It's great. Then the community events that we do. <clears throat> They're all about building bridges to our community. That's what it is. Um, we, 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 we have this thing, and maybe you've picked this up or maybe you're not that familiar with what takes place in our community. But as a church, we always want to build bridges. And so we go out into the community. Almost all of our events take place at Tomlinson Common Park. And the ironic thing is the community league, they rent our building and run events for the community here. Um, and so they're kind of coming back and building a bridge this way. But we go out into the community. And so things like Spring Carnival or Friday at the Park... Winter like those are important ways for us to connect. <clears throat> and you kind of think, well, what's my role in that? Your role is to come and just meet people. And maybe you realize, hey, that's my neighbor down there. Or you've invited your neighbor. And it's just a, a safe place to introduce them uh, to TCC. This fall, um, Val Teske is working on developing a single mom's community kitchen. Using this incredible facility that we have to teach single moms how to cook and to prepare meals, and maybe not even so much to teach them as to give them a place for sharing and community and to be able to, um, to make some really uh, cost-effective meals for, for their families. And so each of these, as you think about that, each of these also then create an opportunity for us to serve. Where are we involved in giving of ourselves and serving the body and the community? How are we doing this both within the church and then on mission in the community? At the beginning of Acts, there were 120 followers of the way of Jesus. And then by the time we get to this passage in chapter 2, another 3,000 were baptized on one day. We talk about explosive growth. And every one of the people who came to faith in Jesus, they decided to become a disciple of Jesus. And I believe that we become what we are committed to. And so for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, the goal simply is to be formed into the image of Jesus. And our individual walks, they need community. And our communities need spiritually vital individual Christians who also walk with Jesus. That's the two sides of the same coin. We don't walk alone without others. And as others, we need people who are walking alone because it makes a difference. And so that together, we experience personal growth and maturity, growing ultimately to look just like the one that we follow. That's our prayer. And so let's pray to that end. Father, I give you thanks for your word. 
And again, maybe this is just a reminder of some basic, fundamental practices of the church. The very reason why we exist. To learn more about you. As we learn about you, we worship you. As we worship, we respond through serving you and others. And we do that in this context of community. And we know that on a Sunday morning in a large group gathering like this, that we're not always going to experience that, but we thank you that, that we have this opportunity during the brunch time to connect with one another. But Lord, I pray for our small groups, even as each of our small group leaders that you have called to this, many of whom have been faithfully doing it year after year. I pray for Pastor Adam as he gives leadership to to our home group and our life group ministry. Pray for wisdom and passion and direction and all the things that, that he needs. And Lord, we, as a church, you've called us to to really be a lighthouse in this community. So when we build bridges to this community, we pray that it would be just an incredible opportunity to to just love people and to love them unconditionally and to build trust and then to be in a position that when they ask us for the reason, for the hope that we have, that we can just tell them about Jesus. Because following you has changed everything. So I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you invite us into relationship and that you then release us on mission. So Lord, our prayer is that you would be glorified in all that we say, all that we do, and all of what we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.